morning to all of you. It's very good to see you here this morning. Uh, Before we get started this morning, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for the ways that you bless us so richly, Father. Father, we admit that oftentimes we kind of turn a blind eye to all that you do for us. Help us to be aware of all the different ways that you bring blessings into our lives and into the lives of those who are around us. Father, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the way that you reveal yourself to us. And we thank you, Father, for your son who came to this earth and further revealed you to us as God in the flesh as he walked on the earth. And Father, we thank you so much for being able to read about him and to, to learn from his interactions that he had with other people. Father, our desire is to be more and more like Jesus Christ. And we pray that today will be one small step in that direction. Father, we pray this in his name, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So we're nearing the end of this sermon series that we've called Face to Face with Jesus. We've been looking at various encounters that people had with Jesus when they came face to face with Jesus. We're exploring what those encounters meant to the people who had them. But we find that interesting, but we find even more interesting and even more important what those encounters mean for us. For us as disciples of Jesus Christ, as we seek to follow Jesus at all times and in all places and in every circumstance that we find ourselves. Because we want everyone to know that we are indeed disciples of Jesus Christ. So far in this series, we have watched as Jesus explored the notion of identity with his disciples and specifically with Peter. And in that interaction We saw that who we say Jesus is very much determines who we are and very much determines what kind of life we're going to lead here on this earth. And then in the next week, we watched as John the Baptist, or as I called him, John the Troublemaker, baptized Jesus Christ in the Jordan River. And we saw the Spirit descend, and we heard God's voice speak. And in that interaction, we learned that John's message of repentance John's message of baptism is actually God's message, and it should also be our message to the world around us. And then in the next week, we stood up on the roof with some men, some men who had brought a friend of theirs who was paralyzed so they could put him into the healing presence of Jesus Christ. And in that interaction, we learned that we're all paralyzed before God. We're paralyzed before God unless we have been brought in to the healing and forgiving presence of Jesus Christ. And we also learned that we should be filling the role of those men on the roof and be bringing other people into the healing and forgiving presence of Jesus Christ. The next week we talked about Jairus, who was a synagogue ruler. But he not only was a synagogue ruler, much more importantly, he was a dad. He was a desperate dad. And he sought out Jesus because he was looking for healing for his 12-year-old daughter who was on death's doorstep. And we saw the Jairus and Jesus hurrying to her side. And we saw that interrupted, that journey interrupted by another person, a woman who had been suffering for 12 years, who also reached out to Jesus for healing. And in that we learned that as Jesus heals the unclean girl, and as Jesus heals the unclean woman, that Jesus' ministry is all about cleansing. It's all about healing, and it's all about restoration. And then we spent some time at a dinner party, a dinner party at Simon's house. And at that dinner party, we saw a notoriously sinful woman act in a way that was completely inappropriate for a dinner party. 
She was very emotional. She behaved extravagantly. She was uncontrolled in her actions and her behavior. And we saw that even though that's inappropriate for a dinner party, that is exactly the correct behavior for us when we enter into the healing presence of Jesus Christ and understand what he has done for us. And then we listened into a conversation as Nicodemus had a a fairly confusing conversation with Jesus. A conversation about being born again and about the spirit and about water. And we learned in that interaction that Jesus lived and Jesus died and Jesus lived again to bring people like Nicodemus. But also to bring people like you and me out of the darkness of sin and into his light. Then we traveled into foreign territory, into Samaria. We watched a really fascinating encounter between Jesus and a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. And there we learned that ethnic and gender and religious and moral gaps between us and other people should never prevent us from offering Jesus' life-giving water. And then last week we heard Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, We heard him interrupt Jesus' journey from Jericho to Jerusalem as he loudly and persistently implored Jesus to have mercy on him. We learned from that encounter that people who are suffering don't interrupt what is important. Instead, they remind us of what is important. And it's suffering people who need to be into into the presence of Jesus Christ. And then this week... We're going to take a look at a short text about a short man. So let's look at our text. Luke 19, verse 1. Luke 19, verse 1. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree, the Savior for to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house to stay. So what's your Bible said? It's one of those new modern language versions, perhaps, that I was reading. Now, that's not how Luke 19 reads. But if you grew up in Bible classes and Bible school like I did, that little song about Zacchaeus is probably very deeply embedded in your brain. And that little song about a wee little man has probably shaped what you remember about Zacchaeus's interaction with Jesus. And what we remember is that he was a tiny little man, and he climbed up in a tree to get a glimpse glimpse of Jesus, and instead he came face to face with Jesus. And then Jesus promptly invited himself to go to Zacchaeus's house. And while all those facts are certainly true, they only hint at the important events that take place when Zacchaeus comes face to face with Jesus Christ. To help us fully appreciate what really does take place in that encounter, let's spend a few minutes talking about some background and talking about some context in today's story. I think the first thing that we should be conscious of is that this encounter is a companion piece, if you will, a companion encounter to Jesus' interaction with blind Bartimaeus. Like that encounter, today's story occurs as Jesus is leaving Jericho to go to Jerusalem. And like that encounter, this encounter involves a man, this time it's Zacchaeus, who wants to see. Bartimaeus desperately wanted to see because he was blind. 
But Zacchaeus is desperate to see. He's desperate to see Jesus. We also need to understand that Zacchaeus' identity presents multiple problems for someone who's going to encounter Jesus Christ. And none of those problems have anything at all to do with the fact that he's short. The problems have to do with his wealth. And the problems have to do with his career, his occupation. We'll see in our text that Zacchaeus is a wealthy man. He's a rich man. And that immediately makes us think that any interaction between Jesus and Zacchaeus may not go very well. Because just before our text today, Luke has recorded for us a story about another wealthy man who came eagerly to Jesus, only to leave very sad. Because Jesus told him he needed to give all of his wealth away to the poor before he could come and follow Jesus. And that encounter culminated with Jesus declaring how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Zacchaeus was wealthy. And Jesus has just identified wealth as a kingdom barrier. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is that Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. And that, that occupation has been identified by other people as being a social, a political, a religious barrier. To give us some idea of how tax collectors were viewed by others, we only need to remember the reaction when Jesus attended the feast that was given by Levi, his disciple Levi. Levi, who was a tax collector. The question raised then was, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? People want to know, why is Jesus wasting his time with outcasts? Why is he wasting his time having fellowship with tax collectors and sinners? Also, we'll remember in Jesus' parable of the praying Pharisee and the praying tax collector, Jesus put these words in the mouth of the Pharisee. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, not like robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. So we can tell the opinion that others have of tax collectors. They were lumped together with sinners and robbers and evildoers and adulterers. Why were the tax collectors so despised by other Jews? Well, it's because they were full participants in the Roman system of revenue collection that used Jewish citizens, these tax collectors, to extract money from their own people. And they did it for the benefit of their foreign oppressors, the Romans. So tax collectors were viewed by the people as traitors, traitors to their own people. And if that wasn't bad enough, tax collectors were part of a system that was known for abuse and it was known for corruption. In fact, Zacchaeus, as a chief tax collector, would have been the poster child for a system that was practically designed for abuse. See, what the Romans did is they, they hired these Jewish entrepreneurs like Zacchaeus to collect their taxes, and the way they did is they simply designated a lump sum that needed to be collected from each region. And then the tax collectors achieved their salary by overcharging their fellow Jews. You didn't have to be a math major to figure out how Zacchaeus became wealthy, how he became rich. It was on the backs of his fellow Jews. No wonder 
tax collectors like Zacchaeus were hated. No wonder they were outcasts from their own society. So when we read about Zacchaeus joining in the throng, trying to see Jesus, we need to understand that his position as a hated tax collector means that the actions he takes in this story are actually acts of bravery. It's an act of bravery what Zacchaeus is doing here because Jewish patriots literally roam the streets looking to cause grief for Rome, looking to bring harm to Rome's agents. And no sensible tax collector would put themselves in such a public position, public setting, without Roman protection. Zacchaeus, in his desperation to see Jesus, doesn't do that. At the very least, Zacchaeus is risking public humiliation, verbal harassment, ridicule. At the worst, he could be risking his life. And it's all because he's desperate to see Jesus So with that background, let's read, let's really read this time, about Zacchaeus' face-to-face encounter with Jesus. Luke 19, 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That story doesn't paint a picture of someone who just has an idle curiosity about Jesus. Zacchaeus doesn't act like someone who decides on a whim, maybe they'll wander downtown and see if they can catch a glimpse of this rabbi who's passing through town. No, we see someone, we see Zacchaeus who's motivated, who's determined, who's desperate to see Jesus. As we mentioned earlier, he's taking a risk by going out like this to see Jesus. But he also acts like a desperate man when he runs ahead and when he climbs up in a tree, when he does whatever it takes So that he can see Jesus. So why would he take those kind of actions? Why would he run ahead, a grown man, and climb a tree? Why was he that desperate to see Jesus? Well, the obvious answer is because everybody else does too. He's following the crowd. He's there for the same reason that a lot of other people are there. Why Jesus is attracting large crowds now wherever he goes. It's because Jesus has this growing reputation Because words of his authoritative teaching is spreading throughout the land. And word of his mighty, miraculous acts is spreading throughout the land. Jesus is the talk of the town. Everybody knows about Jesus now. And for a people who are looking for the coming Messiah, there's one thing that's on the lips of many of them. They're asking the question, could this be the one? But I think Zacchaeus has a more specific reason 
for desperately wanting to see Jesus, a more personal reason for wanting to see Jesus. You see, the very behavior that many of his countrymen found so disturbing about Jesus, the fact that Jesus continually associated with and shared table fellowship with sinners and tax collectors, that disturbed most of the people, but that wouldn't have disturbed Zacchaeus because he is one of them. He is a tax collector. So Jesus' reputation for welcoming outcasts, for welcoming outcasts like him, attracted Zacchaeus to Jesus. Because maybe, just maybe, he'll also welcome in Zacchaeus. And that's when this story gets kind of strange, kind of unexpected, kind of unusual. Because we can understand why Zacchaeus was so determined to see Jesus. That makes sense to us. But we really can't be prepared to see Zacchaeus' urgency to see Jesus is matched by Jesus' urgency to share a meal with Zacchaeus. Jesus is also urgent to encounter Zacchaeus. Listen again to Jesus' urgency when he sees Zacchaeus. He says, come down immediately. And he says, I must stay at your house today. See, I don't believe this is some chance encounter. I don't believe that Jesus approaches Zacchaeus out of curiosity because he noticed a short guy up in a tree. I believe Jesus has an agenda Jesus has a plan, and I think his plan is to give a decisive answer to all of those who are muttering about the inappropriateness of Jesus, inappropriate of this rabbi who might just be the one, how they believe it's so inappropriate that he's once again associating with sinners. And the muttering at this point really doesn't surprise us because we've heard it before. We remember Simon's reaction to Jesus allowing a sinful woman to wash his feet in a very intimate way. And we remember the muttering that occurred at the feast full of sinners and tax collectors at Levi's house. We've heard the muttering before. So the crowd's reaction is predictable. We've come to expect it. And they aren't just upset because Jesus is associating with someone who has been cast out. That's not the only thing that upsets them. They're upset because he goes to Zacchaeus' house to share a meal. And that upsets them because sharing a meal, because in their view, sharing table fellowship with Zacchaeus was something that they viewed as not only sharing food and not only sharing drink, but also a sharing in and participating in, condoning, if you will, Zacchaeus' values. They think that Jesus is condoning the very values that have led to Zacchaeus being ostracized from their midst in the first place. And don't people just hate it when others accept someone else that they have rejected? But Jesus ignores the opinions of the crowd. And Jesus does share fellowship with Zacchaeus. And rich Zacchaeus responds to Jesus in a dramatically different way than the rich ruler did. He doesn't walk away from Jesus sad. Instead, he jumps to his feet and he makes an extraordinary commitment. He commits to giving half of everything that he owns to the poor. And he commits to repaying four times the amount collected to anyone that he has cheated. So we need to look at Zacchaeus' offer of restitution as being something that's extravagant. 
the law, the very law that these people who are muttering take so much delight in and put so much stock in, that law says that restitution must be the amount swindled plus an additional 20%. If I've cheated someone out of something, I need to give them that back plus 20% more. But Zacchaeus offers 400% restitution, an extravagant amount. And notice that Jesus views this act as confirmation that Zacchaeus is indeed saved. Salvation has come to this house. And this act provides Jesus' decisive response to all those who are muttering about the inappropriateness of him associating with tax collectors. It's a loud rebuke to the muttering crowd. Because this is what happens when Jesus comes in contact with sinners. He doesn't accept and adopt their values. They accept and adopt his values. Jesus isn't changed. They are changed. Salvation comes when Jesus comes in contact with the sinners, when he comes in contact with the outcasts. And Zacchaeus' salvation is confirmed by his actions. This is a true conversion. Jesus isn't who he was. He's changed. He's a different man. He's a true son of Abraham because he's now operating in the image of Jesus. Because now he's bringing blessings to others instead of taking blessings from them. This is true conversion because Zacchaeus is now serving others instead of insisting that others serve him. So what do we, as disciples of Christ, learn from this little story about a little man? What do we learn, especially when we pair this story with the story of blind Bartimaeus? Well, first, I think we need to recognize that these two face-to-face interactions with Jesus occur, and they occur back-to-back. That's intentional. There's a reason for that. It's intentional because Jesus uses them to teach us that the kingdom of God isn't closed off to either of these men who are in many ways polar opposites. Blind Bartimaeus and rich Zacchaeus. In many ways, polar opposites. See, we learn from this that the kingdom is open to Bartimaeus. It's open to a poor, blind beggar who has depended on the generosity of his countrymen for survival. The kingdom is open to Bartimaeus. And the kingdom is open to Zacchaeus, a rich man who has depended on cheating his countrymen to amass his wealth. The kingdom is also open to Zacchaeus. So we learn that Jesus refuses to stereotype. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, all of the lost, poor or rich, blind or seen, tall or short, tolerated or hated, Jesus came to seek and save all of the lost. We also learn that no one, literally no body, is beyond the reach of the searching shepherd. Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus, but amazingly, Jesus was also looking for Zacchaeus. And we see that Jesus consistently and Jesus persistently invites the uninvited Into his kingdom. Once more, I'm reminded of Jesus' reaction to the muttering about Levi's feast. 
when he had a meal with sinners and tax collectors. Then he said this. He said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus consistently and actively and urgently invites those who have been cast out by others back in, into the kingdom. Let's listen again to God's words about Jesus spoken through Ezekiel that were read before the sermon. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. And here, as Jesus interacts face-to-face with Bartimaeus and interacts face-to-face with Zacchaeus, we see what was prophesied actually in action. We see these two strays, these two outcasts, brought back to the kingdom by Jesus, brought back to the kingdom by the good shepherd who seeks and saves the lost. So what do we do? What do we do in response to our master's example with Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus? Well, let me close by just suggesting three things that we should do. The first thing that we should do is we should be willing to walk through the walls that have been built by stereotypes in order to seek and save the lost. Walk through the walls that have been built by stereotypes in order to seek and save the lost. What we'll do is we'll act like Jesus and we'll ignore the muttering of the crowds and we'll do that so that we can bring Jesus' presence to all the lost. And we'll trust in Jesus' power. We'll trust in Jesus' power to bring about true conversion. We'll trust in Jesus' power to bring about true change. And we'll trust him to do that in the lives of every person who encounters his presence. And the second thing that we'll do, as a result of seeing Jesus for who he really is, the good shepherd, the savior, the redeemer, the hope of the world, we, like Zacchaeus, will respond in service to others that is extravagant and radical. Extravagant and radical service of others. After what Jesus has given us, how can we possibly withhold from others? After the way Jesus has blessed us, how can we not be a blessing to others? After the love that he has shown us, how can we not show love to others? Radical and extravagant service to others. And third and finally, I believe we'll imitate Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus, who after he encountered Jesus and after his sight was restored, followed Jesus praising God. We'll be that people. We'll be the people who follow Jesus and praise God. God has brought us into his kingdom. Who else could we possibly worship? So may our feet 
always follow Jesus. And may our tongues forever praise God because we, because we the outcast have been welcomed into God's kingdom. Let me end by saying that Ezekiel's prophecy is still in action. Jesus, the good shepherd, is still searching for his lost sheep. Jesus, the good shepherd, is still rescuing his lost sheep. So if you're here today and you're looking for the peace and you're looking for the security that only comes when you're under the loving care of Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, won't you let us know? We'd like to help you become a part of his flock. Won't you let us know that that's what your desire is? You can do that in a couple of ways. We're going to all stand up and sing a song in just a moment together. If you're comfortable doing so, you can walk to the front and let us know that you really want to be part of Jesus' flock and be under his care. If you're more comfortable doing it in a more private way, you can walk to the back as we sing the song. Ask for directions to room 104, 104. And a couple of men, a couple of our elders will be there. And they would love to talk to you about Jesus Christ, their good shepherd. Whatever your need is, won't you let us know while we stand and while we sing this song together.